<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. We're here with Travis again. He's back in the U.S. So today we're going to just do a quick catch-up episode. Uh, we haven't spoken in about almost a month, I guess. So uh, we'll just kind of see. No, actually, no, three weeks. So we'll just see what's up and kind of give you guys. An... Feels like a month. Yeah, feels like a month because you were on in China and it was blacked out. So. Anyways, we're going to do a quick catch-up episode uh, since we haven't talked in a couple of weeks and kind of give you guys an idea on what we're up to and kind of plans for the future. So, Travis, uh, what's going on? I'm back in the USA, and I'm, I'm really happy to be back, to be honest. It was great traveling. I did the six weeks all around Asia. But the truth is, after about three weeks in, like right before I came to meet up with you, I was ready like to go back in the sense that I, I had all these ideas and I had all my energy back because I was kind of burnt out before I left. But after about three weeks into it, I was just like ready to go. And one thing I noticed is that um, I guess the food was kind of annoying for you, right? Like, cause they don't have like kale here, like your all your paleo stuff. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, to me, it's just I like eating clean. It doesn't have to be you know kale smoothies and stuff, but it's good for me to know like, okay, this is what I'm gonna have for lunch. I don't have to spend an hour walking around trying to figure out what I want. I like just that stability. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I guess on the other hand, like one of our friend James Clark um, from Nomadic Notes, he likes the exploration aspect. Of yeah, it. I like it sometimes, but I find uh, that if I'm trying to be productive, for sure, I like to just know, all right, this is what I'm going to have for breakfast, this is what I'm going to have for lunch, you know, maybe a couple choices for dinner, but not... I always, when I'm on vacation, I tend not to start looking for a place to eat until I'm hungry. And then as I'm looking, I just start getting like annoyed because I'm like, oh my God, I'm so hungry and this looks bad and that looks bad. Oh, this looks good. And then if I find something that's good, to be fair, it's the best meal of my life. But it's those times where all I can find is like deep fried stuff that I can't identify that it bothers me. All right. So let's get into the updates then. So you're back in the US. Uh, For me, I've been working on my Kickstarter, obviously. So the past two weeks, we've been working on the final sample. But in the meantime, I've been working on the launch strategy. So this kind of involves uh, the thunderclap, like I told you about earlier. And I've been also running some Facebook ads and kind of some guest posts uh, for the actual launch week. Because while it's being made, I can't really do anything. I'm just twiddling my thumb. So you know, what can I do to kind of make the launch as big as possible? So that's kind of what I've uh, been working on. So in terms of like the guest post, um, there's a couple of blogs I used to write on before kind of some finance blogs for Ball of Leather that I'm going to write again to announce the Kickstarter. I don't know how it's going to work, but at least it's better than nothing. And I think the idea is to just have these outlets. And then um, on every Kickstarter page, you have this as seen on like type of social proof, right? So just to get a couple of those as momentum first and then use that to leverage for some other... These blogs, uh, do you just have a good relationship with them and they'll let you like post whenever you want or how does it work? Uh, so one of them is more like a forum and if you get a registered user status, like a confirmed uh, status, you can just post anytime. And the other one that I know is I know the editor, so he'll just let me post anything. Like like the quality is kind of not that great, so you could just write something like a rough draft and then he has an editor. He'll fix it up. Because I think a lot of blogs these days, they seem to just be churning content because it's like a content machine that needs to constantly be fed. And I think yeah, something someone told me it might've even been you. I don't remember, but basically like back in the day of like a magazine or a newspaper, there's a limited amount of space and you know, they don't, they're very selective about the articles because you know, you can only have 50 pages worth of content. Now, Uh, The blog can produce, you know, 100 things a day, 200 things a day if it wants. And if it gets 10 hits from one and 1,000 from another one, it doesn't really care about the 10 hit one because eh, it's something. It was a chance and it didn't work, but it didn't cost them any money. And so the more people that can write for them and the more impressions they can get, the more ads they can quote get, right? So, and if it doesn't hit, it just doesn't hit, right? There's really like no 
risk to this. It's just a piece of content on the internet that no one's reading. So yeah, so that's why I'll talk about my Facebook ads and a little bit later too. So I guess uh, you're also working on some other systems that since you've been back? Yeah, so before I kind of get into that, uh, one thing that's been kind of interesting, it's both good and bad, is that the productivity in the production facility has gone way up, meaning that like we're able to churn more things out. The problem is the sales, it's not that they've been bad per se, but they're lower than we'd like. And so what's happening right now is we're only we're basically produce, we're able to produce more than we're getting in. So we're having our employees uh, create extra stock of like our most commonly sold items. But it's kind of a scary thing because it's like, if this trend continued, we'd obviously be losing money. So it's really balls in my court as the marketing guru to come up with all the ideas and like try to jumpstart, you know, our, our marketing. So essentially, your staffing costs have gone up. So you're going to make extra inventory, but if this inventory doesn't move, that's really scary, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, our staffing cost was the same as it was uh, two months ago, but now we've kind of structured everything. So that same, let's say 10 people, let's say they used to be able to produce a uh, thousand pairs of dance clothing a week. Now they're producing 1200 and it's a good thing, but at the same time, it's like, I need to work harder otherwise it's, it's otherwise it's a waste. And like, as a business, you kind of need to fire someone and I don't want to fire anyone. I think that that, you know, when you hire someone, you kind of have an obligation to keep them employed. It's, it's uh, kind of a dick move to just be like, sorry, you're more productive now. So we're going to fire you. Yeah, and I feel like if you take that mindset, you're playing not to lose instead of playing to win, right? Like you have this extra staff, you have this extra capacity. So just go out and just find more people too. So, but that's one thing I want to ask you is that this is the summer season or like spring right now tend to be slower or is it like a seasonality of your business or there's a hundred percent of seasonality and part of the problem's been that a lot of uh, the dance teams are going to competitions on the weekends currently and so nobody's buying on the weekends and it's scary i think uh, last sunday we had like one sale and you know it's not so bad if you're terry lynn and you're the only employee in your business but when you have like 10 people that and you have a one sale day you're like uh oh and summers are also really low. So it's kind of scary thinking ahead to summers. Like, are we going to have enough money to be able to uh, keep production running smoothly? Yeah. And I guess these marketing things too, they don't happen right away too. Like if you start doing this, you'll suddenly get like 20 more sales tomorrow too. Right? There's like some ramp up time. Yeah. So there's a little bit of time until summer. And then the other thing is, to be honest, if we need to take out a loan, I mean, I, I've been looking into it. Interest rates aren't that bad. And on top of it, I have personal money that I'd be willing to invest into the business. And I'm sure I could get family also to invest in the business. The, the truth is, come September, no, at least October, November of next year, profitability and sales are going to be exploding. I have no doubt. So it's really just a, a getting through the summer. It's kind of like a reverse. Instead of usually it's like, we just got to get through the winter. It's like, if we can get through the summer, we're going to flourish. Yeah. And summer is when to when, like June to September or to October for you guys? I'd say June to September, probably. Cool. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Sounds like a lot of stuff. I got a lot of ideas, so I'm, I don't think I'm ready for it. So for me, uh, I started running also some Facebook ads to capture emails. So uh, I, was, I was thinking about, so I have this thunderclap with about 160 people on there. That's all going to go out on the laundry. But I felt like I'm kind of missing something with emails and maybe I should have done this earlier. So... I didn't really have a good strategy, so what I'm testing now is just some Facebook ads. And one thing I thought about was, that, all right, so if this sleeve is going to be like $100 or so, 
uh, how do I target the right people? So one, since it's made for MacBooks, I can actually target people that only are on OSX operating systems, which is kind of cool. So if you're on a PC or whatever, you actually don't see my ad, which is good because I don't want you to really buy it either. Or maybe it'll fit your laptop, but it's not really made directly for you. And then second is like, well, what's something that they would spend $100 on where like it's a kind of like a no-brainer purchase. It's not really a huge dent in their bank account. Right? So I was thinking, all right, like if someone can spend $100 on a steak with their friends, it's probably around that income level, right? That they can just spend $100 on a case with a battery and some code organizers. And the other angle was that, all right, so what else would they spend on? They'd probably spend something on like a membership, like Soho House. I don't know if you've heard of that. That's kind of like a co-working space, but it's like $1,000 a year. Or something like Barry's Bootcamp. It's like a gym class where I think it starts at like $30 a class. So I was like, well, if someone can spend something like that, they probably have the purchasing power and the context to actually spend that money. And the last one I was looking at was purchasing engagement. Because So if you're going to run ads against certain pages, I felt like... You know, how engaged is the audience of, say, 300,000 people on a page versus 100,000, right? And so I had a filter where I had a list of maybe 10 pages. And then I was looking at their average posts. So the criteria was that they needed to have average 100 likes per image or at least 10 shares on, like, average basis to, like, target them. Otherwise, like, why target people with, like, an audience that doesn't care about them? So I don't know, are there any holes in this argument that you see that I should be adding to or? No, I'm really curious for like the $100 stake thing. Uh, the other ones are a little bit more self-explanatory, but the $100 stake, how are you targeting people that are interested in buying that? So you, I went, asked some friends in New York uh, that were in finance, like, hey, what's the steakhouse you go to? And and then you can, I look at their menu. So all, everyone has a menu on a PDF, right? You just look at the average meal, like how much is a drink? like a cocktail plus a steak. It's usually around like 80 or something like that, and then plus tips, whatever, it's like $100. And there's a little trick you can do with Facebook, I realize, is that if you go to a Facebook page, and then you you know how there's a www.facebook slash page slash whatever their name is? If you change the www to graph, it tells you, it pulls up their Facebook graph, and then you see the Facebook ID, and then you can go to facebook.com slash pages, uh, you do question mark from page ID equals, and then you put that ID in, and it pulls up a list of recommended pages that other people have liked. Because you know how Facebook, if you like a page, it'll show you recommended pages other people have liked? Yeah. So it's basically, it pulls that list for you without actually liking a page, and you can just scrape like a bunch of pages. And then you can run it through the filter where, all right, do they have engaged audience? Do they have like 100 likes, 10 shares, whatever? And kind of that's how I built the list. To talk. So it's not a graph. It's that's just what you need to type in. Is that? Yeah, yeah. You're you're looking to pull the Facebook page IDs, and then you pull that into the URL, and then it'll show you uh, what other pages are similar or something like that. And it's a way to discover like kind of hidden gems that aren't as common, I guess. So, uh, so I'm using that to run some ads. And so what's kind of weird is I only got two emails so far. Uh, at and I spent six dollars. Yeah. How many clicks? Eight. So I guess that's like a two to twenty-five percent sign-up rate. I guess that's ridiculously good conversion rate. I was doing the math. Like, say if I get a hundred emails and I convert twenty percent of them, I was trying to figure out the number that it would make sense to keep throwing money at this. Way. Yeah, I, I don't know how you can get the price of your clicks down. It's it's probably not very easy to do. Yeah, it's hard though because you're right. Like, what percentage of the emails are going to convert? And then, uh, you know, that it's so it's not like twenty-five uh, percent of the people are buying your product. Otherwise, you'd be stumbling upon like an amazing find. But 
that's tough. If they're signing up, there's a little bit of intent, but you never know too. Until yeah, exactly. So the next one um, is that you're going to do some more spotlight marketing, right? Yeah. So this is one thing I'm really uh, excited about is I'm actually going to do the spotlight marketing. And for those people that don't know, that's just where you know where you interview your customers basically. And I'm going to do it for YouTube. Uh, so I'm going to go around to some different dance studios and actually interview dance teachers in person, you know, do a whole video. And I might even have it so they do like a video just by themselves, which would be something like seven ways to improve your dance performance. And then I'd post that under our channel, but give them credit. So that way all their students will, you know, want to watch it and they'll kind of get to feel like a star. But what's keeping them from putting this on their own YouTube channel? I'm just curious. Uh, a couple different things. One of it is most of them don't know how to edit videos properly. So, I mean, if someone came to you and said, hey, um, we have right now, we only have 200 subscribers on YouTube, but I'm planning on I plan on really focusing on YouTube and growing that up. But if if a bigger YouTube channel came to you and said, hey, uh, we want to do a video on seven ways to increase your e-commerce business, would you mind? All you have to do is you know, sit there and talk about the seven ways to do it. We'll do the editing. We'll post it to YouTube, all that kind of stuff. Chances are, you know, you probably say yes if they're willing to come to Ho Chi Minh City and come interview you. Yeah, that's true. Because I guess if you, if you could do it, you would have done it already, right? Yeah, exactly. I, and most people are not, it's not that it's hard to start a YouTube channel, but to do it well, uh, first off, I, I have a good camera. I spent, you know, 300, $400 on a camera plus lights, which is another $200. And I guarantee 90% of the 99% of the people that I want to be interviewing are not going to have a good camera, good lights. And they're definitely not going to know how to edit a video. So it actually looks halfway decent. And so the YouTube, are you going to run ads on your own channel or are you just going to have like a call to action in the end? I think uh, just a call to action. I might actually, and this is another topic, but start running YouTube ads on other people's videos because I heard that's like a really a good way to, th there's some like hacks that you can do basically to make it so you're not spending too much money. That's funny about right? these ad platforms. You could just run ads against people and you don't even need to have an audience or like you could build it off someone else's hard work. Which I'm totally cool with. I think that's a good shortcut. Uh, spend a little bit of money and do some research and let the other people do all the hard work. Yeah, so why why video instead of keep doing the texting? I just think for, there's a couple different reasons. One, it's another outlet. Uh, two, I want to grow a subscriber base on YouTube for a number of different reasons. And then the other big one is I think if I can meet someone in person, and I'm not going to sell them. I'm not going to be like, oh, come to our website and buy all the clothing. But they're going to be intrigued. Like, who's this person I met? And it just naturally comes up in conversation. I mean, everybody I talk to is like, what do you do? I have an e-commerce business. Oh, what do you sell? I sell clothing. Oh, what kind of clothing? Dance clothing. Oh, that's really interesting. You know, what's your selling point? So if random people in the street are asking me this, I'm sure if I go in person, they're going to be like, oh, so what do you do? It's like, well, this blog actually is because of a dance clothing company, blah, blah, blah. Where if I'm emailing them an interview, I'm not, I, you know, t for me to plug the website is a little bit more salesy. Where in person, it's like, yeah, we're just having a cool conversation. So when, what's the timeline for these videos or when are you going to start doing that? I'm hoping to start, well, me and my mom are going to film about like seven videos, hopefully tomorrow. So I can start, my goal is every Monday to have a new YouTube video. But as far as actually interviewing someone and all that, I'm, I emailed someone that's like a, a family friend and they said, or they didn't respond yet, but they told my mom that we'll be doing it pretty soon and she's super excited. So I think next week I'm actually gonna do the filming.
Yeah. So you guys need like a little backlog of your own videos before you can show other people that, hey, you know, we actually make good videos. We'll make you look good and stuff like that, too. Yeah. And I'm actually part of the reason I wanted to do this, too, is I'm going to be going to Las Vegas pretty soon. And then after that, I'm going to go to like the Salt Lake City area. And I figure, you know, if I'm going to be spending a week in these different random cities, I might as well go into the dance studios. But I, you can't just go into a dance studio or any kind of, you know, company and be like, hey, can I leave my business cards here? Uh, you know, we have this really awesome company. I mean, you can, but they're they're going to sit there and nod their head and be like, oh, that sounds great. But when they actually go to buy your product, I'm probably not going to buy it from the guy that came in, you know, knocking on the door. They're more likely to buy it from the person that's like, hey, you're amazing. I want to feature you on this website that's like super professionally done. Yeah, I'm sure people you've interviewed already would be totally down with the video too if you actually showed up. Oh, I... I I think I think more people would be down for that because it's so much less work on their part. It's like, hey, can I stop by uh, your dance studio, film you for 15 minutes, and then, you know, I'll let you go. As opposed to, hey, uh, I've never met you before. You know, here's an email. Can you fill it out? And don't get me wrong. Most people do fill out that email. But how do you say no to someone that's like willing to come to you in person? It's a lot harder. Yeah, exactly. Although I'm sure some people still might do that, though. But I mean, you'll have yeah. To see I mean, I, I had one. Uh, you know, you have people all the time. I had a. I was featuring some college dance programs, and they're like, "Oh, sorry, we don't want to be featured." And I'm like, "Why?" They're like, "Uh, you know, we don't want to be associated with any kind of brand." I'm like, "All right, this is like 1970s attitude. It's like, no, it, I. This is like the modern era. You should let anyone that wants to talk about you talk about you." Yeah. So I had a friend who was on Kickstarter that did this basically. So, so this happened to him too. So uh, he's done like 13, 15 campaigns. He was on the show Bomber Barrel. And there was a new campaign that came out a month ago that was doing some pants. And what they do a lot is they do cross collaborations where say if I'm running a project and you're running a project, so say you sell dance clothing, there's someone that's selling dance shoes. You guys will just be like, hey, check out you know this other project that's selling cool stuff, you know, cdanceshoes.com. And then they'll do the same thing to you guys. And you guys will just share share your email list, right? And so basically what this guy did was he actually copied his whole campaign pretty much, like from the graphics to the format, everything. It's like almost like 80% of it's basically copied him. And then my friend reached out to him. He's like, hey, you know, uh, what's going on? You guys want to just do a cross collaboration? And they're like, no, but fuck off. And you're like, what? Like, <laughs> like we're just trying to exchange customer bases. It's not like we're trying to steal your customers or anything. Wow. too, Because like people on the internet, they just go wherever they want. There's no such thing as like, you know, you can't like keep them in a box and like not let them run out, right? This is stupid. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing about that is it's not like, I, we've talked about this before with other uh, e-commerce podcasts. You know, there's no problem on us like talking about their podcast and them talking about our podcast because it's not like there's a limited supply of people. And same thing with like someone that's willing to buy uh, a pair of pants is also, it's not like they're going to buy a pair of pants and not want to buy a nice bomber barrel bag. It's like, no, those people will probably want to buy both. Why not share? That's just weird. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I guess he's probably thinking that, well, if my pants are $100, I want my customer to only spend $100 on my pants, not on something else that could probably take that money away. But but if your customer can't spend $200 on either, then is that really someone you want anyways? So it kind of didn't make sense to me. Yeah, that's a bad mindset to have for yeah, sure. Exactly. And especially on like a place like Kickstarter where it's kind of, all like community startup type of thing like i noticed a lot of campaigns do that now and my friend was telling me hey whenever, whenever you're alive you know find someone that sells belts or you know shoes or watches and then just be like hey you know you want to just kind of all update about you you update about me and then we can just cross pollinate and collaborate like this too and the, the cool thing is that you can send it only to your backers too so people that have already pledged to give you money 
on both sides is you're kind of building your email list like on a double basis too. So one thing I've been also doing is scraping campaigns that will overlap when I launch to kind of approach them for collaborations too. So there's one like watch company that just launched this week that looks pretty good and kind of, you know, anything that's, was that called? Uh, complementary instead of competitors. And I think it'd be interesting to see how that goes too. Cause I think maybe if you feature someone first and then you approach them, there's like the spotlight marketing. You're like, hey, by the way, I featured your campaign in my last update to the customers. You know, I think what you're doing is really cool. And then he, you know, check it out. And oh, cool. I'll do it too. Right. So, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Cause I, I think when you're in that marketing mindset that all these people that are, their Kickstarters are live, hopefully you're willing to accept like any kind of outreach possible. Uh, obviously, there's some people that don't want to don't want to do the cl- cross collaborations, but I think that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah, I think it's, so. Some people have said reach out to old campaigns because you could still send updates to your previous backers. So like it's kind of interesting. But the thing is, the contact isn't always the same because when you both have live campaigns, you're all in the same boat. Whereas someone who's finished like a year ago, they're probably doing their own thing, right? So uh, maybe the context isn't there. But it's interesting that even when you finish a Kickstarter, you can still use that email list as leverage for like future campaigns or collaborations or things like that. So even if your campaign's finished and there's a new campaign, you, they can cross promote you. That is, that's really cool. I bet you a lot of people don't even use that properly, I, I imagine. Well, I guess most people wouldn't even think of just collaborating with other campaigns, I guess. It's kind of a new thing I came up with too. So, and it makes a lot of sense and goes to the spotlight marketing thing we talked about too. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm even curious how many people on Kickstarter don't even think about properly like utilizing that email list in general. I, that's something that I'm trying to focus more on is email marketing, but I feel like that's a high leverage thing where I feel like a lot of Kickstarter people aren't savvy enough to like continue that email marketing. I don't know. Yeah, like you can pull that email list of say 200 backers, make a custom audience and then just start Leveraging it. Yep. Oh, I'm getting all excited about all the nerdy things you can do with emails. Uh, our last update, uh, some people have been asking us about spotlight marketing, right? So just to let you guys know, while Travis was here a couple weeks ago, we actually recorded the whole course. Uh, the only thing we're working on now is kind of the templates and the VA, things like that. So uh, one thing we kind of interesting to get your feedback on if you're to this is that um, do you just value the templates more? Or do you kind of want the whole course? Because one thing I was realized was that I was talking to maybe like five or six people that already have stores, maybe have like an internal marketing guy or staff. And they're like, hey, just give me the templates I can hand off to them and let them run with it because I don't want to learn it myself. I just want someone to do this for me because I have better things to do. So No, I mean, I, I just quickly wanted to say that oh, I've been, I recently did like kind of a recap of the last year or so of marketing. And there seemed to be like three things that really my efforts like paid off the most from and the spotlight marketing was obviously one I've talked about it a ton on the the podcast and then the other two were the top 50 list that I talked about the top 50 dance studios and then the dancer of the month competitions was the last one so I'm going to be focusing on those and I, I think anyone listening to this the spotlight marketing it's definitely worth checking out like I've had a lot of success with it all right, cool. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, Spotlight Marketing, our kind of first course about interviewing your customers and getting sales, traffic, conversions, SEO content. We'll be out in a couple of weeks, so stay tuned. Uh, join the email list if you haven't already. Uh, we'll also have a special discount for Mafia members too if you're already in the membership site. So that's it for this week, and we'll catch you guys next time.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. If you got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.